this morning we begin the Cox Deeper Life series. This week is uh, made possible by an endowment left by Dr. Leo Cox, former professor of theology and chair of the Religion and Philosophy Department for many years at Indiana Wesleyan University. As a minister and theologian, Dr. Cox was deeply committed to the proclamation and experience of holiness. As such, his vision was to bring to this campus people who could share with new generations of students the fullness of the gospel, that Christ came to not only forgive us of our sins, but to truly set us free to love God with our whole heart and to love our neighbor as ourselves and to experience the fullness of the Spirit in our lives. This year, Joy Griffin comes to share with us in the Cox Deeper Life series. Joy is co-founder and international director of the International Leadership Institute. Since 1998, the Institute has trained over 100,000 people in 108 countries. Joy herself has taught and preached in 40 different countries. But the most important thing that Joy would want you to know this morning is that she loves Jesus. And she comes to share Jesus with us. Please join with me this morning as we welcome Joy Griffin. Thank you, Dr. Bounds. Um, it is just an honor to be with you during these days. And I, I want to say thank you to Dr. Bounds and Dr. Lowe and the entire chapel committee for the invitation to be with you here at Indiana Wesleyan. It's always a privilege to talk about Jesus and what he's doing in our hearts and lives. Um, and especially during uh, the Deeper Life series, I'll just confess to you, and I'm going to share some of that in my testimony, I didn't even understand what that word or those words, Deeper Life, and the word holiness, the holiness series, what that meant. Um, but, but I want to share, and I hope that this week is going to just uh, instill in all of our hearts more and more, that holiness is not just a doctrine or a theory, but it's the, it's the essence of who Jesus is and what he longs to do in each one of our hearts. And that's very exciting to me. So first I want to read just from the Word this morning from Acts chapter 3. It's a very familiar story to you. You probably learned this in vacation Bible school or Sunday school. I'm going to just read the first 10 um, verses of that chapter. Acts 3. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man who was lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, that's the name of the gate, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Now, alms is money. So what this means is this man was a beggar. The Bible says that he's never walked before, and they went and laid him outside sort of on the porch of the chapel, sort of, the, the, the church. And Peter and John are about to come into the temple to pray. But this man's a beggar. The Bible doesn't tell us here in chapter 3, but if you flip over to chapter 4, you see how old he was. The word says that the man was more than 40 years old, more than 40, and he's never, ever walked one step in his life. He's always been crippled from the time that he was born. So they lay him there every day and hope that the religious people will be kind to him. He holds out his hand, and he's hoping for a quarter, a dollar, some money so that he can, um, can eat. Verse 3, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, held out his hand and asked for alms. Then Peter, fastening his eyes on him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed to them, expecting to get something from them. He thought they were going to give them money. 
Verse 6, then Peter said this, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And the word says, immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. He was rejoicing because he could walk. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they all knew that he was that same man that had set for alms, that had been a beggar at the beautiful gate of the temple. And the word says they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened, at the miracle that they had just seen happen. Now, the reason that I shared that passage is because something similar to that happened to me in my life, actually physically, as well as something that had just happened with Peter and John in their hearts and in their spirits. But I need to give you a little bit of background first to try to explain what I mean by that. I... Um, I'm thrilled to be in Indiana, and especially here in Marion. It's beautiful countryside. As I was driving yesterday, I came through a lot of farmland, and um, I grew up on a farm. I'm from down in Georgia, and I grew up on a a small farm, though, a dairy farm. We milked cows. Anybody know how to milk a cow? Can you? Yeah, a few people. Yeah, you know what a dairy farm, what a cow looks like, you know, how to milk one, okay. Actually, you know what, I married a city boy, I'm from the country, I married a city boy. I don't think my husband had ever even seen a cow until we got married, but, but I am so, so thankful. Grew up in the country and grew up on, um, uh, in a very small little Methodist church, and it was all just family. Our church was family, uh, because again, most of the folks around were, were just farmers, And I'm so thankful that I don't remember a time, like probably many of you here, that I did not know John 3.16 or or know the words to Jesus loves me, this I know, because I learned that at the feet of my parents as well as from our church community and family. I was so thankful. When I was 12 years old, I was at church camp, and um, I knew I needed to make a decision. I wanted to join the church, so uh, I was baptized and joined the church when I was 12. And then I really wanted to grow as a Christian. So um, I would be in, in Sunday school and youth group, and then I'm getting old enough, you know, to go out on youth retreats. And so, so we would go, and, and um, I really wanted to learn from the Word. We'd come back from a retreat, and the pastor would let the, the youth stand and, and say what had happened, you know. And I was with everybody else. People would say, oh, I just love Jesus, and I give God the glory for what he did this week. And it was great what, what, what the Lord did. We sang songs like we just did this morning with words that I sang but didn't even know what they meant. And I certainly didn't mean it from my heart. But, but, I, but I stood there and acted as if I was worshiping. But I was convicted by that. By the time I'm a middle teen and in finishing high school and only into college, like your age, I just thought... I'm such a hypocrite. I say those things, but I don't know that that's real in my heart. You know, and I really wanted to grow, so I'd read my Bible, and and I got more and more convicted as I read the Word. I thought, my life's not like Jesus. We just sang that, didn't we? We want to be like Jesus. And I had said that. But but as I read, I I thought, I'm not like that. For example, here's some some that, that really stuck out at me. Remember when Jesus is hanging on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I thought deep, deep in my heart, I don't forgive people that way. Now, you wouldn't know it. My friends wouldn't know it. Dave Ward's my friend. Dave wouldn't know that. I'd be kind to him on the, on the outside. But deep in my heart, maybe I was mad at him because he blocked an important basketball shot of mine. You know, so I held a little grudge there. I knew that, and I knew Jesus did. Um, you know, he says for us to love him with all our heart. And I thought, I was beginning to get convicted. I thought, deep down, you know, I can love my brother Chris because I can touch him. I see him, talk to him. I said, I say I love Jesus, but what does that really, really mean? So, 
Do you know, I actually even went to my pastor. Now, now, your pastor would never say this, and the folks here, your professors would never say this. I, I, I didn't understand the difference in liberal and conservative. I really didn't know that it was possible that a pastor could be somebody that really didn't believe the Bible. I, I, honestly, I, I had not grown up that way. I didn't understand that. But now, now I put all this together. But, but at the time, we had student pastors. They, were, they would come in and they would preach at our little country church for about three years and then graduate and go away. But, but they, because we lived an hour or so away from a big city that had a, a seminary, but it actually was a very liberal seminary. Again, I didn't understand that, so I thought, well, the pastor knows about the Word of God. So I went to them and said, will you please help me? My life is not like God. I mean, it's not like what the Bible says. And do you know what this pastor very wrongly said to me? Patted me on the back and said, oh, Joy, you are the best little girl we know. And this is just an emotional moment, and you'll feel different tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How horrible. But, but I knew that wasn't right. But, but now, now looking back, I'm going to tell you more of the story, and then I understand why this guy didn't understand or know how to even really help me. Anyway, so I keep, keep going along. And, and to the world's eyes, I, I, had, I was in good shape. You know, I was a, a good student. I was a good athlete, had lots of friends. Um, and, and I was known as the Christian. I, I didn't do immoral things, but I was really, really struggling. So much so that then when I actually finished college, just a little after some of your age, just the next year, I thought, well, maybe the way you figure this out is go where preachers learn about the Bible. I thought that was logical. <laughs> I thought that made sense. So I thought, okay, well, I'll go to seminary. Um, and so... Uh, I did, but again, I didn't understand the difference in a real Bible-believing and teaching seminary and one that, one that isn't. And unfortunately, the one that was closest to where I grew up um, was, was not very solid biblically at all. But I was in a carpool, and the reason I'm telling you this part is it plays in later, so I'll hurry. Okay, I got in a carpool. I made the fifth day. There were four men, actually. They were all guys that were from different states that had come in near the Atlanta area, and they were, they were preaching, student pastors, out in these little country churches, and then they would go into school every day. So I made the fifth day to drive. I got in the car the very first day. The guy said, well, hey, you're a girl, so why are you going to seminary? Now, they were not being rude to me they just they were just we were just trying to get to know one another and I said I was just I said I just need more about know more of God I don't even know what that means and I was just honest with them and here's what happened three of those guys three seminary students three said joy we are just like you we stand in the pulpit on Sunday morning in our little churches and we preach about peace but we just believe you have to wait until you die to get it to get peace is that not depressing But that was, they were honest. But one guy, and he's going to play in later, so I'm telling you about him. One guy said, Joy, I am just like you. And we became sort of searchers together. We were, we were really doubters, too. We, we were skeptics. Because I said, I said, I am smart, and, and I'm intelligent, and, and I don't want anybody to pull something over my eyes. So I said, you prove it to me, and then I'll believe it. Because I really wanted wanted the answers. So in the mornings as we would be driving an hour in, you know, we would say, okay, in this class today, you ask your professor these questions. And, and, and others, at the end of the day, we would try to compare notes. Because we really were. And these other guys, the other three, they were hungry too, but they didn't even understand that they were hungry. They were just responding the way that they had been taught. So, so I actually was just in the beginning of that semester. 
just beginning seminary, but at night I was playing on a, a women's softball team that had won everything. We had won game after game, and now we were down to the championship. I mean, this was huge. This was like the World Series of women's baseball. It's really, really big. And so I need to explain to you what I did. Otherwise, it makes me look stupid to do what I did. But I'm trusting that most of y'all understand and know baseball. So here was the deal. It was the bottom of the ninth inning. Big championship game. Thousands of people are there. Bottom of the ninth inning, and my team is up by one. We're winning by one run just at that point. And we have two outs on the other team. So you know the scenario. That means one more out, and we win everything. I mean everything. But the complication is that there are runners. There's a girl on third base, and also there's a girl on second base. So runners on second and third. That means if anything gets through the infield, if there is a hit, what happens? Yeah, score. That's right. Two people score, unfortunately, not just to tie the game, but we're going to lose the game if, if there is a hit. So we know that in our minds, so we're in the field and we're just praying for the, the easy out. You know, you hope for just a, a, a strikeout, you know, easy. Or, or a dribble in the infield and throw them out. Or easy pop fly and then it's over and we win. So we're waiting and the, 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 the pitcher's about to throw the ball and we know that the runners are going to be crossing home plate by the time the ball crosses the plate. So, so it's a real intense time and the worst thing that could have happened happened and that is that she swung and hit a beautiful line drive. It was gorgeous, just a rocket, just like a bullet, just headed down into the ground. And the, the runners are going, and basically it's over. So I ran as fast as I could and dove in to try to catch the ball. Didn't think I had a chance to, to get to the ball. Um, the, other, the other fans are just roaring, and it's basically over. So I ran, dove, landed just uh, flat on my front, on my chest, stomach, legs, just sort of like sliding into first with my arm out. And the good news is, guess what? <laughs> I caught the ball. And we won! We won! It was like a, yeah, 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 no. I mean, it really was like a miracle because it shouldn't have been there. I'm laying on the ground and my glove is there, but it was like a little ice cream cone sticking out, a little white, right there. The ball was there. I don't know how, but the ball was there. And we won! Yeah, so it was great. Good news. The bad news is that when I hit the ground... For some fluky, fluky reason that no specialist doctor anywhere can figure out why this happened, I hit flat on my front, but when I hit on my front, it ripped everything away from the bone in my back, and I was paralyzed, just like that. And from that moment, I mean, that second, <laughs> nothing changed for me for 18 months. I could talk, I couldn't move, nothing changed. So uh, it was a horrible time. Uh, of course, immediately took me to all the, the specialists. And, and month after month, I was taken all over the southeast to the best doctors. But there was just nothing that medical science could do, ever. Nothing changed from that moment. There was sharp, sharp, intense pain all the time. They could never get anything deep enough. It just, it just it surprised everybody. It was, just, it was just a strange, weird accident. But I was left and, and couldn't move. So back at my parents' little house, little farmhouse, I, I laid on the floor. They made like a little pallet, and I laid there all the time, and somebody had to sit with me. I was, you know, close to your age, just a couple of years older than most of you here. I was 22 when I got hurt. 
and um, had to lay there, and somebody had to sit with me, and they would put a straw across, you know, and down just to put some liquid in, to, you know, because I was leaning back to, to try to swallow. And then nasty, nasty, you know, I had to use a bedpan when I had to go pee-pee, you know, then they'd have to put something under me. Just a very depressing time. Uh, during all that time, I never had a period. And um, most girls would say, well, yay, hooray. Um, but because, you know, uh, it's just sort of a pain. But um, uh, it, in a way, it was almost a blessing because it was already nasty enough with a bedpan. And so that would have made it even more difficult. But the reality meant that that meant I could never have babies. That, that inside, everything was twisted. My ovaries, uterus, everything was in the wrong places. So in addition to being paralyzed, all, all of that was gone. So after several months, the doctor said, well, we're just going to tell you the inevitable. We've sort of put that off, you know, telling you because you're young and had your whole life ahead of you. And I was a PE recreation major. My legs were my life, so I thought. And um, um, they said, uh, but the reality is you'll never be able to walk again. You'll never be able to have babies. There's just nothing we can do for you. So they sent me home. And so I was back on my pallet. So... Uh, people would come and go. People would say, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't believe this happened to you, poor pitiful you. And they meant that. You know, it was my friends. It was neighbors. It was family. And, and I'm sure that there, I don't remember this. I'm sure there's people who said, well, we'll pray for you, you know, as they walk out the door. Um, and I'm grateful for that. But the worst part was not physical, even though it hurt so much. I mean, it just the pain was intense. The worst part was my heart. Because remember, I remember laying there thinking, I'm never going to be able to get up physically and go find somebody that can tell me the answers to my heart questions. I'll never be able to go find somebody. So that was the worst part for me. But guess what Jesus did? <laughs> you know, about a, about a year into this happening, I was so thankful. About a year into it, guess what happened at my little bitty country church? For the first time in my life, first time, We'd always had student pastors. First time in my life, instead of a student, guess what we got? A precious old, old, old retired man. <laughs> yeah, he could have been like my grandpa. He was really old. And he and his wife, you know, retired because they didn't need full-time salary, you know, either. So, so they moved back to eight or ten miles away from where my little church was. And, and so they were going to be the supply pastor for there. So they were being good pastor, pastor's wife, going and visiting all the sick people in the nursing homes. And then they came to see me. And people had told them what had happened. He looked down at me, first words, he said, well, how are you doing? I looked up at him and I said, I am miserable. Okay, do you know what this old man did? <laughs> I said, I'm miserable. I was really clear in what I said. He looked down at me, this big smile comes across his face and he says, oh, that's good. <laughs> and I, I thought, poor old man, I thought he's senile. <laughs> you know, he's just, or, I mean, that's terrible to say, but it's the truth. Or I thought, well, or he's part of hearing, you know. So I yelled back up. I said, no, sir, did you hear me? I said, I'm miserable. Big smile. He said, oh, joy. Matthew 5, 6. Jesus said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. He said, I know you're hungry, and Jesus can fill you. He said, he says, um, uh, to have a pure heart, you know, and, and to be holy. He said, without holiness, no man's going to see the Lord. Now, there's that word we talked about earlier that Dr. Bounds mentioned as the, the, the Cox Holiness Lectures, the Deeper Life series during this week. That word holiness scared me. I am so embarrassed to say that I grew up in the church, but I didn't understand that word, and I'm just confessing to you now. Maybe there's one person here that feels this way. I thought about snake handlers when I heard the word holiness. That's terrible to say, but it's true. Just I remember first impression of my mind. 
But he said, he said, Jesus promises too that if you're hungry for him and if you're searching for him with all your heart, you'll find him. And he was so excited. When, when he and his wife had walked through the door, I didn't know what to call it at the time. Now I would say it was the Shekinah glory. This precious little old man and woman were just aglow, madly in love with Jesus. It was so obvious, and it was strange for me. I, I had not seen that before. But they were radical for him, even though they were old. So I said, well, good. How does that happen? Because he's saying, oh, that's great that I'm miserable. You know? I said, how does it happen? Okay, big smile comes across. He looks down at me. He says, oh, it's easy, easy. I said, okay, help me. He said, it's real simple. He said, you just surrender everything to Jesus. Well, now, um, again, my church was really small. And so, so small that even when I was 12 and 13 years old, I could play the piano sometimes, you know, at church for the hymns. In our little Cokesbury hymnal, I can tell you the number is 149. I surrender all. I knew that in my mind. I could remember. You know, the, the, the song leader would say, turn to number 149 at the end of the service. We're going to sing, I surrender all. So I, the pastor said that, and I lied to him because I said, I did that. I have. I did it when I was 12, when I asked Jesus in my heart. Now, he was such a godly man and just so humble and so patient. And just he knew that wasn't true. But he sort of went along with that, and we, we kept talking. And then from that moment for several weeks, actually, he, he so faithfully came day after day. And he would sit there in the chair because I'm on the floor, and he would answer questions for me. But he began that day, and here's, here's what he said. And it really helped me to understand what that deeper life really is. He said, Joy, it, this was foreign to me. I have never heard it before. He said, Joy, the Bible talks about two kinds of sin. I didn't know that. He said, he said, the S-I-N-S, when you see the word sins, plural sins, he said almost every time that's talking about the outward actions of sin, lying, cheating, stealing, things that we do outwardly, the sins that we commit. And he said, that's what you ask Jesus to forgive you for. You're saved, praise God. You know, you, he does forgive you. But he said, what you're dealing with is the sin. He said, if you read in the word almost every time, the word the sin, S-I-N, singular, is talking about carnality, the sin, original sin of your heart. He said in Psalm 51, David said, In sin my mother conceived me. He said, You didn't do anything to get that sin. He said, But that's the, the inner principle of sin, the selfishness, the pride, the ego in our hearts. He said, That's what causes you to want to do the outward actions of sin because you want to look better than somebody else or, 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 or do something more important than them because it's, it's pride that's there. And he said, the word says that that's never taken care of unless it's washed away or cleansed. Well, I've heard those words we actually even sang this morning. I was real aware of the words in the worship songs that we sang in the hymn this morning. It was just like I had all of my life sung a lot of those words about being washed whiter than snow and being cleansed and our hearts purified. And I even read those words in the Bible. But I sincerely had ignorantly and wrongly thought that it was talking about salvation because I wasn't reading the text and the context of the word. He said, when you see those words, almost every time it's going to be talking about God wanting to do a deeper work in some believer's heart. Well, that became a challenge for me. I couldn't, I couldn't get up and go and to the library or to the Bible, but as I lay there, I tried to, tried to think about what the Word said and, and, and would ask him to read to me because I thought, I believe maybe he's telling the truth. And he began, he said, he said, Joy, what God wants to do in your heart 
is to what uh, some, some versions would use an old word called entirely sanctify. It means to purify, to cleanse your heart. The word holy means to be set apart. He said, God says, I'm a holy God and I want you to be a holy people. He said, so what he wants is all of your heart and then you become more like him. He said, um, he said Joy, think about um, in the Bible who you think God is. Think of God in the Old Testament. And I thought, okay, that's just and love, you know, pure who, who God is. He said, then think about Jesus, who you see Jesus in the flesh as in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as he's walking along. And then go over into Galatians, and it says that the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You learned that in Bible school too, didn't you? Learn some kind of little Jesus song to go with it, to learn the fruit of the Spirit. He said, before Jesus went back to heaven, he told the disciples, he said, I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm going to send somebody else, and he's going to be just like me, just like me. And then that's who the Spirit of God is. After Jesus did go, ascended back into heaven physically in the flesh, he gave us his Spirit. So that's who the Spirit is. And in my brain, this is so simple, I know for y'all. See, you already know this stuff, but I didn't. And in my mind, I thought, well, the fruit of the Spirit. So in my brain, I thought about Jesus being a fruit tree, you know, like when he was like in the Gospels. Like, like an apple tree or something. But the fruit that I saw in Jesus was all those qualities that I wanted in my life. And then I, I thought, well, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, who God the Father is and the Trinity, who, who they are. And I thought, that's, that's who the Spirit is. And my pastor very wisely said, he said, Joy, if you, Joy, yourself, you know, this is your heart, and, and, and there's still any joy in it, any of yourself in it, ego that's there, after you've asked Jesus in your heart, he said, usually people have walked with him for several years, maybe a long time before you see a real need for something deeper in your heart. But he said, there's still a little bit. There's not 100% you know, given to him. You've still got a little bit of joy there. If you ask him to cleanse your heart, to wash it, to purge it, to sanctify it, you know, and then fill you with your, himself, that's what it means. If you're empty, then you can be filled up. It's sort of like I got a pitcher here and filling it up uh, with love, joy, peace, patience, all the fruit of the Spirit. He said... People use different terms. Old King James might use the word sanctify, but it really means to be filled with himself. And that's what holiness is because he's a holy God. All those things began, were just going through my mind, and it made sense to me. But you know what I, I said? Well, I've given Jesus everything. But as he began to share with me, I was more and more convicted, thinking, no, you know, I might have given Jesus 95% or 96%, but I kept back 90, maybe even 97, 8, but I kept back 1 or 2%, and I decided who I dated and what job I took and what I did with my money. Um, and my reputation was important to me. And so I began to think, I, I, I haven't given everything. My old preacher said this, he said, Joy, think about the hymns of the church. Um, and again, I couldn't get up and go to church, but I remembered Old Rugged Cross. You know that song? It says, and was on that old cross, Jesus suffered and died. He did for two reasons, to do two things, to pardon, save, and sanctify me. There's that word. Rock of Ages says, be of sin, the double cure, save from wrath. We've asked him in our hearts, and make me pure. And I knew my heart was not pure. I knew that. I had tried from the time I was 12 years old to do enough, go do the right things enough, go visit the sick people, be nice here, there, all those doing things. And I knew I had tried, and I couldn't make it pure. And, and my pastor said, I said, how does that happen? He said, it's real easy, he said. <laughs> he said, two people have a job. He said, God has a job, and you have a job. 
He said, your job is to surrender everything, to give it all to him, and, then, and to trust him. And then his job is to do the work. In Thessalonians, he says, faithful is he who calls you, who also will do it. He said, only God can do that. He said, enjoy. God is, God is saying that he longs to do that in our hearts. He said, think about the, the letters in the New Testament. We call them the books of the Bible, like Philippians and Ephesians and Corinthians and Colossians and Galatians. It goes on. He said, but they're really letters to people or to churches. And at the salutation, he will say, Paul says, to the church at, to the saints at, to the brethren, to, to the believers at Ephesus, to, at a place. He said he's talking to believers and then he's showing them that God wants to do something deeper in their life, for them to be filled with all the fullness. You can use all kinds of language. And it began to make sense to me. And I'll tell you the turning point day for me. One day he said, Joy, I'll tell you what your problem is. I said, okay. He said, um, you're just double-minded. And I didn't know what that word meant, but it didn't sound like a compliment. I mean, it sounded kind of like an insult, you know? I really didn't know. And then over in James, it says a double-minded man or a woman is unstable in all their ways. They're just wishy-washy, up and down, you know? Somebody that's already asked Jesus in their heart, but they're just going like this. Anytime that emotions come or circumstances come, you're just up and down, not steady, not stable. And I knew that was true in my life. He said, here's your problem. He said, you've got just enough of Jesus to make you miserable. He said, here it is. He said, you've got one foot with Jesus. You're saved. Praise God. You ask him in your heart. You're going to heaven. Yay, yay, yay. But he said, you've got one foot over here still in the world, and it's like you're straddling the fence. And I'm a farm girl. I understand barbed wire fences. I do. Do you all know? Have you, has anybody here ever tried to climb through a barbed wire fence? You know, and you get your legs? Yeah, you get your legs caught, blood's gushing out everywhere, and it hurts. And you can't, you can't go anywhere, you know, because it's going to cut you even more. Yeah, yeah. And that day I thought, I lied to him those weeks before because I had kept back some percentage <laughs> because I wasn't giving him everything. And I didn't want to be that way. He said, Joy, Jesus died on the cross, not just so you get to go to heaven. That's wonderful. But you don't have to wait until you die to get that peace, deep peace in your heart like that guy thought way back there. Jesus said, you know, I've come to give life, an abundant life, not just in heaven, but, but here now. That's where that joy and love and peace can come from. So, so the best part of the story today is it happened to be July 16th. I do know that day because that was a day I couldn't move physically, but that I really did in my heart and, and verbally prayed and asked Jesus to, to take everything that was not of him from my heart. I said, I don't even know what that means. I don't, it doesn't look like I even have a future, but whatever that means, I want it all to be yours. And I'm in it. I'm in it with everything that I had. And I want to tell you, I couldn't move physically. But it was glorious because suddenly when I meant that prayer, those people that I'd held a grudge against, that was gone. Suddenly I loved them, like wanted them to have more Jesus than me. Like it didn't make sense. It was just supernatural. God really did cleanse my heart. He truly filled me with something I couldn't have done. I couldn't work it up to have that love and joy and peace in my heart. It was not possible. Not possible. A pastor said, he said, the word says that what happens when you're filled with the Spirit of God is two things. Your heart is purified. It's cleansed. And then you're filled with power. Now, I don't want, we don't want power, but it's anointing. It means it's God's spirit. That's why Peter and John, when they just said, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk, that precious man was healed. Because, because they weren't selfish anymore. It was about Jesus. So that's the best part. That's what really matters. 
But exactly two weeks from the day, and I wanted everybody to know what Jesus had done in my heart. I mean, I wanted the world to know, but I couldn't move. So two weeks later from the day, guess what? Near my house, out in the country, was a little camp meeting. It's old-fashioned, um, like a revival kind of time that you come together, a very small one, where people come and basically camp for about a week and seeking the Lord. So the local newspaper came out, as it always did, and had the photograph of the man that was going to be the evangelist, and then it had the photograph of the guy that was going to be the youth person. I had never seen the evangelist guy before. My parents brought the paper in, and I'm looking at it upside down, you know, and they're saying, look, this is who's going to be preaching this week. Um, obviously, we weren't, couldn't go, but the evangelist, I didn't know. His name was Tom Barrett from South Georgia, in case anybody happened to know his family. I didn't. But I did know the photo of the guy that was going to be the youth guy. Guess who it was? It was my buddy from the carpool. Remember Terry, my friend, that he and I were the searcher together? Terry was, had by now had graduated seminary, been ordained, and was preaching on the other side of the state. They'd ask him to come back and do the youth for that week. And so I said, please, I've got to go tell Terry and his wife Sharon who the Holy Spirit is and what Jesus has done in my heart and what holiness really is and what it means to have that deeper life right here now. And um, I said, because I know that he's just over there preaching with no power and he, he, he's just struggling because if anything had changed in his heart, he would have let me know. So, so the only, well, yeah, I mean, I knew that. So the only time that I went anywhere in 18 months except to all those doctors and specialist people was that day. They picked me up, laid me in the back seat of the car and drove me to the little, where the camp meeting's gonna be. Laid me down the little porch, little, just a little cement porch of a little two-room building that the preachers were going to stay in for the week. You know, just a little block building. So I'm laying there and I'm sharing like crazy with my friend and his eyes are big saying, why have I been in the church all my life? I've never seen or understood this. This is the answer. So just really excited. And suddenly, just at that point, here comes the old man that's going to be the evangelist. And he comes and they shake hands and, you know, greet each other. And I guess I looked like a rude, you know, or disrespectful young girl because I, I couldn't get up to shake his hand and say hello, that kind of stuff. So, so he looked down at me. My friend explained what had happened. And so this sweet old man looked down and I thought he would say, oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you, poor pitiful you, you know, whatever, like other people did. First words out of this man's mouth, he looked down and said, well, have you ever asked God to heal you? And to be very honest, I first thought he was just a quack, you know, or nut, you know. I, I, I just thought, why would he, I thought, why, why would that come out of somebody's mouth? You know, just sort of flippantly. But then he said, I don't mean to be flippant. He, <laughs> so I thought, well, I guess that's God. Anyway, he said, well, I don't mean to be flippant. He said, um because I want to tell you that I do not understand healing. He said, I don't understand why some people are healed and some are not. When he said that, I thought, I'll listen, because he's honest. He's telling the truth. He said, and I don't understand why sometimes maybe we pray for somebody in church, and then maybe they die. He said, I don't understand that. But he said, I just know that everywhere I can find in the Word that they, that they brought people to Jesus, he healed them. And he said, I believe with all my heart, if Jesus in the flesh was walking down the road, it was just a little dirt road, pig trail out there. He said, if Jesus was walking down that road and we asked him to come over here and heal you, he said, I believe he would do it because he's Jesus. Because the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's Jesus. And, but he was very humble. He said, I, and I just know that over in James, it says, call on the elders of the church and to pray. So he said, I just want you to know I'm willing to ask for you. Very humble. We talked a long time. My time has gone, so I've got to hurry to finish saying this. Um, but we talked, he talked a long time, and I listened. Then I said, yes, sir, I want you to pray. And I want to tell you what he said before he prayed, because 
this, this, the Lord, I've, I've used this when I've prayed for other folks before. He said, um, Matthew 18, 19, Jesus is talking. And Jesus said, if two of you agree on earth touching anything, it will be done of my Father that's in heaven. So he said, before I pray, I want to know what you can agree with me for. He said, could you agree with me that God could heal you in six months? And I said, yes, sir. But I said, but the people I know would not give God the credit for that. They would think that I just got, got better gradually or that I had some special surgery. And I always stop and say, this is really important for everybody to know. I believe the way God normally heals is slowly. I think it's gradual. And I believe God uses doctors. I believe he gives them the brains to diagnose and treat. And then he gives the people the brains to make the chemicals for the Advil or Tylenol or whatever you take and the medicine stuff. I, I do. We don't give God the credit for that, but that's who helps stop our headache, you know, with that stuff. But... But I said, but now, because of what Jesus did in my heart two weeks ago, I don't want me or human anybody to get credit. I now know what it means. I really want God to have all the glory in my life, all of it. And I said, so I don't want any human to get credit. He said, okay. He said, well, could you agree with me that God could heal you right now? Then that's a different story, you know, different ballgame. And, and, and I, I really began to cry, and I wept for a long time. I said, I want to believe that, but I can't imagine what it's like to not hurt. I said, I'm in so much pain. I can't imagine not hurting. I can't imagine to sit in a chair. I said, I can't, I can't, I said, I'm a runner. You know, I can't imagine running down the road as a little girl. Boys do this too, not just girls. You dream when you're little of someday walking down the aisle and getting married, don't you? Yeah, you do. I said, I'll never be able to do that. I said, holding my little baby dolls, you dream of someday having a baby. I'll never be able to do that. So it was just bad. I was just a wreck. He was very patient. And then he said, uh, let me ask you one more question. He said, before two weeks ago, could you ever have imagined the love and joy and peace, everything God put in your heart when he did fill you with his spirit, when he really sanctified your heart? I said, oh, no, sir. Then my brain changed. I said, no, I never knew you could really know him and really love him. I, I, it's real. I, I, I heard people say it. I heard preachers. I heard people in chapel. I heard all that stuff, teachers, all that. But I never knew it was really real and you could really experience that. But I said, if God could do that, he could do anything. Because for me, that was bigger than any of the big miracles in the Bible, like the parting of the Red Sea. I mean, all the big ones, you know, the big miracles. Because I knew how dirty my heart was. And I tried all those years to change it, and I couldn't. And so... He didn't ask my permission, or he didn't have oil like sometimes we think of in a healing service. He just began to pray, and he was talking to Jesus like I am you. I, it wasn't formal, fancy, I don't know the words he said, but somewhere in the prayer, he said, Father, because of Matthew 18, 19, I agree with joy that it's done. And then I don't know what else he said. I guess he finally said amen, you know, whatever, to a prayer. But when he said those words, I was just aware. Everything changed for me. Suddenly in my brain, I, I, I was aware that I didn't feel anything. And I still can't describe it. We could be here all day for me to try to think of how to put into words. It was just a numb feeling. But, but I didn't feel pain. So I honestly thought I was asleep and dreaming. It was wonderful to not hurt. I remember thinking, oh, I don't want to ever wake up. Because it was so good just to have the relief of not pain. But I thought, well, this is just not really happening. I'm just dreaming. And so I guess he had finished the prayer. So he said, well, did anything happen? And I said, I don't know. And then he said, well, can you move anything? And then... I'm not sure why. I didn't know my husband then. Didn't know any, I, I had not met him. Later, he asked me, he said, well, why didn't you do something like just wiggle your toes or something? I, but I don't know. I was just stupid. I, didn't, I don't know why, what I was thinking. When he said, can you, did he, can you move anything, I just jumped up. And so I did jumping jacks, and I ran in place, and I did a back bend. Yeah, you can clap for Jesus because it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Got to hurry. Jesus healed me. 
instant, just like that. It was like that man in, in Acts chapter 3. I mean, I could do anything. The next morning, I stuck on my shoes. I ran a couple. It was Sunday. I wanted to hurry to get to church to tell people. I ran two miles that morning. The next Saturday, one week later, I ran in a 10K race. Do you know how long that is? That's 6.2 miles. I mean, I ran. You know? Okay, girls, you ready? Yeah. Okay. I, I was healed on a Saturday night. On Monday morning, so what's that? 36 hours later? Guess what? Starting my period. But, you know, yeah, yeah. Yippee. But, but it meant nothing to me at the time. I just took care of it because I was going to tell everybody. Actually, Indian Springs Camp Meeting was going on. I drove down to tell all the Hearns, tell everybody the Lord had healed me. But, but later that meant that maybe I could have babies. And now I can say Jesus has given us two precious babies that medically are not supposed to be here. So I'm so thankful. And I, yeah, it is. It's good. Okay. Okay. I got to stop. I had to stop. I'm sorry. I took too long. Um, you know what, though? Jesus really used that. Went to all the doctors. People were just blown away. So many people got saved. I mean, because people said, I've never known anybody that was really healed. The doctors all said, we're bringing in all these interns and these resident guys because they need to see this because we, it's not scientifically possible. I mean, it was precious to see how Jesus used that. And it gave me opportunity to guess what? People wanted to hear about the healing, and I love to go and share that. But what it gives me the opportunity for is to say, I'm so thankful the Lord healed me because if he hadn't, I couldn't stand here. I would never get to be here, meet you all. I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. But that's not the biggest thing that he did in my life. The big thing that he did is what he did in my heart. Because not all of us have a physical problem or paralyzed or any of those things, physical issue. But according to the word, all of our hearts are like mine. And, um, and, and God longs, longs, longs to do a deeper work in our hearts. And I know it's almost time for class, but I'm going to ask the band if they will come. And they're just going to play softly, just maybe just through a song, just once for us to have a prayer time before you take off. I want to beg you, don't leave. Don't go out these doors and go to class, lunch, wherever you're going. Don't go the way you came in. Jesus wants to work in each one of our hearts. And if there's any part, maybe, maybe you're like me. Maybe, you know, you can say, oh, yeah, I've been a Christian all these years. It may even be a professor. It could be staff. It's not necessarily just students. It's all of us. Been walking with Jesus a long time. But maybe Jesus is saying, yeah, there might be one or two percent in there that's not totally, totally mine. And so the invitation this morning is for us just to pray to be totally his, to really give it, surrender all, surrender all of it. Thank you all for coming to pray. So can we just all stand and we're going to pray? And, and I just want to say you're so invited and welcome to come and pray right here. It's just between you and the Lord. If you want somebody else to pray with you, raise your hand and one of us will pray. But if not, just come and make this an altar this morning. And if somebody has some physical issue, I, you know, we, I always, it's such a privilege now to pray for folks physically because I think, what if that precious little old man who didn't know if anything would happen or not had not been willing to be obedient and pray for me? I'm so, so thankful. But let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you help each one of us this morning to be so gut honest with you? Um, because you already know our hearts. But will you search our hearts, as we sing many times, and, and we're asking you to come in and cleanse our hearts. Would you wash our hearts whiter than snow? Would you, um, would you uh, cleanse it so that we would be completely filled with your spirit? And that's glorious. That is that peace that we don't have to wait until we die to get. God, thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can do the same for us as you did for those in the Word of God. You can do the same for us as students that you do in the professors that we see walking around here that seem to be um, just, just uh, so excited in their hearts and just oozing out Jesus. And I know that there are people here this morning that are saying, Jesus, I long for you to do that in my heart. So 
Jesus, thank you for your word that you promised that if we ask anything according to your word, that you hear what we ask for and that we have the petitions we've requested. And you say clearly over and over in your word that it is your will for us to be gloriously sanctified and completely yours. Thank you that we don't have to wait until we're in heaven to have that uh, relationship with you. So um, will you do in our hearts this morning what we can't do for ourselves um, as we surrender our part? Thank you that you're always faithful to do your part. You promise that you'll do the work of cleansing in our heart. And we sure do love you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. There are those of you who do need to take this time. Please take as much time as you need to uh, ensure that you don't leave the same as you did before. And otherwise, um, please, if you can leave quietly, that would be wonderful. Thank you guys so much. Have an awesome Monday.